Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of the SQ Podcast, the best football, basketball, and sometimes movie podcast in the world. I dragged that out too long. I'm sorry you had to listen to that. But here we go. I have a championship game recap for you guys today. So I'll do the AFC and the NFC, and then I'll take a little break. And then I'm going to do some of the QB trades. I figured I could have jam-packed a ton of stuff into this week and just gotten it out of the way, but I figured... I'm almost closer, to, or I'm almost at a uh, sixteen dollars in revenue in my uh, third year of doing this podcast. So, why not drag out as much content as possible and push some of that to next week? Yeah, so I'm definitely, I'll definitely do my Super Bowl preview next week, and then we'll see, we'll see what the the QB market looks like. Obviously, there's a lot going on, but there's the two major ones, so I figured I'll cover those at the end of this podcast. Just you know, in the event that something happens before the Super Bowl, and I look like an idiot for not getting it out beforehand. So, because, you know, I love looking right all the time on this thing. So, got to keep it going while I can. So, here we go. I'll start with the AFC Championship game just because it was, you know, a lot more of a slog to watch and whatnot. Um, I, at the end of the day, you know, just the, the Bills had no answer to keep up with the Chiefs wide receivers. Uh, you know, you're already kind of at a disadvantage when the Bills, when you're a team like the Bills and you run more of a zone-heavy defense against Patrick Mahomes because he's going to find all of these open holes anyways, but not that the bills didn't run any man uh, last week because they did, but even so, so you're already at a disadvantage and then you just watch Tyreek Hill catch the ball at what the 10 and bring it all the way over into the other red zone in like five seconds. There's just nothing. The bills really had an answer for that for. Um, and you know, sometimes that's just, that's kind of how it is against the chiefs offense. Um, yeah, and I mean, even then at the end of the game, not that they kept Hill and Hardman in check by the end, but I think they definitely made more of a point to focus on those guys. And then by the end, you just left these wide open holes for Travis Kelsey to fit himself into, and Mahomes is going to find him every single time. Uh, so that's just kind of, that's how that went for the Chiefs, right? And then the Bills... Um, they got a little bit of pressure on Mahomes. Uh, he definitely, Mahomes moving around, he looked a little gimpy. Like I thought that he was kind of moving a little slower than you would like to see, but you know, he's coming off the turf toe and obviously he looked fine with a neck and the head, like, you know, his decision-making or anything wasn't bad. He just looked a little slow and was like walking a little funny sometimes, like going to the end of the, or the out of bounds. But at the end of the day, he was fine. He moved around enough and still made Mahomes throws. I don't really know how much of an issue that's going to be. Uh, certainly though, Losing Eric Fisher is absolutely huge for these guys. They're already down a bunch of their offensive linemen. Lauren Duvernay Tardif didn't even play this season because he opted out. And then uh, Kalechi Osemele tore his Achilles uh, three or four weeks ago. And then they lost Mitchell Schwartz earlier in the year. And now they're down uh, Eric Fisher. So they have one of their starting linemen. And they are now going into the Super Bowl with four backups one of whom will have not played at all uh, in the starting unit. And yeah, that's uh, that's not ideal, especially, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into the Super Bowl matchup uh, too early here because I want to do that next week. But, you know, uh, as I will talk about later in this podcast, uh, Tampa Bay's front seven and pass rush are a little more dangerous than the Bills. So that that is, I don't want to say crippling, but that's going to be huge, especially if Mahomes moves around similarly to the way he did today. That may be an issue, but you know, you can't really complain when the chiefs put up 38 points 
in the conference championship game. So, you know, I, I've just I've run out of stuff to say about this offense. It's just the perfect marriage of scheme, uh, great quarterback, and absolutely absurd skill position talent that fits the system perfectly. It's again, there's just, there's really no more words to describe what they did. So I'm going to stop trying to describe it. Uh, to go to the other side of the ball, um, the Chiefs secondary looked much better than I guess I I gave them credit for and would have expected going up against this Bills passing attack that had four very productive receivers playing on the field at the same time. Uh, Leger- uh, I, I'm not even going to say his first name. Uh, Sneed, their rookie cornerback, has been playing really well and continued to do so. Tyron Matthew definitely uh, stepped it up a little bit. I, I thought he'd kind of lost his step for a little bit there, but he certainly is looking like he's getting around the field pretty well. And yeah, and then they get Bashad Breeland back for the Super Bowl. Or not back, but like he's going to play for the Super Bowl. Good stuff for them. Um, and so they got their really sticky coverage, which in conjunction with the pass rush playing as well as it has in the playoffs, that, that's been huge for them, right? Because I mean, I don't think their defense is world beaters or anything, but as long as they're able to get some pass rush, they can help out their secondary. And and if their secondary plays like they did tonight, I mean, that's that's a bonus, right? Um, Frank Clark is so puzzling to me because he really did not do anything this season at all. I think he had like five sacks and just generally looked like he was kind of loafing around a little bit. And then you look and he is tied now with Nick Bosa for the most pressures in the playoffs the last two years, which sidebar. Nick Bosa getting 22 pressures in three in one postseason run is just absolutely ridiculous. Like that, oh my god, that and that's that will play into my my quarterback discussion later. But God, that San Francisco D line is just so ready to just destroy people next year. Anyways, sorry, um, I gotta stop getting so sidetracked. But anyways, Frank Clark has played has played really really well in these playoffs, and you have Chris Jones. And you have some of their other guys, just like Alex Okafer and just a solid front set. Anthony Hitchens, I still don't, I'm not a big Anthony Hitchens guy, but he is playing less like a massive boss than he had been the last two years. So, I mean, this defense is playing very, very well at the perfect time for them. Uh, to focus more on the Bills offense uh, in that matchup, you know, Allen, Josh Allen looked more like he did in years past, I would say in terms of he would kind of just like sit there and like stay in the backfield as long as he could trying to make something happen. And then he would then proceed to sail a throw or just not really get the ball out the way he should. Um, now, as I said before, the bills did play or the, the chiefs did have really nice coverage on those guys. And again, their pass was really good. So it's slightly understandable that Josh Allen wasn't going to play like he has been all season, but he certainly I felt could have played better. Uh, he didn't end up running the ball. He had like 90 yards rushing the ball, but I did wonder if he could have ran it just a few more times just to try and create something. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, the problem with this bills game, this bills team all season, not that it was really going to matter for tonight, but they just didn't really have a run game. Their pass they just, they can't really make a balanced offense. So once you get put in a situation where they have to pass the ball, like the Chiefs defense was able to put themselves in a position where essentially every play they could just pin their ears back and run at uh, the quarterback. And that's how Josh Allen ends up with six yards in attempts on just not great stats from Josh Allen today. Uh, I also, they definitely needed to be, 
the Bills definitely needed to be more aggressive, like 100%. They kicked how many field goals in uh, Kansas City territory in the red zone and everything. And I guess I can understand wanting to take some points, like Sean McDermott was saying, just keep the scoring constant. But against the Chiefs, you are not going to have very many chances. Like you were up nine to nothing and you have to keep your foot on the gas. If you want to beat these guys like ball, ball control and just slowly grinding in the dust really does not work that well anymore. (laughs) Considering that the chiefs will take every opportunity available to them and they will score. And if you are losing four points on every single drive that you're doing, uh, you're just, you're not going to keep up with them. You're just not. Um, So not the best game for Sean McDermott. And, and I, you know, I, I can't really speak for how much control Brian Dayball has over stuff like that, but this was a performance that left some to be desired, I would say. So just more in terms of, uh, you know, doing a, I don't want to do a moratorium on the bills or anything, but you know, people, people said, all right, the bills will be back, you know, like they're set up for the next few years here. And yeah, I, I, I don't want to come across as a hater when I'm saying, cause there will be people that will dismiss what I'm going to try and say here um i think we do we need to be careful with just crowning these guys and just saying oh they're going to be fine they're going to be back because the reality is making it this far in the playoffs is really really hard especially when your quarterback is going from making six million dollars this year to 20 something this year i'm going to look that up but i mean i just like there's really no guarantee. I mean, like one year you are the Bills who are making the Super Bowl, or not the Super Bowl, the conference championships, sorry, after playing really well all season and, you know, winning your two playoff games. And then you become the Titans who get uh, smashed in the conference championship. And then the next season you are losing in the wild card round to the Ravens and, you know, losing to Lamar Jackson uh, in the playoffs is not exactly the, uh, greatest look in the world i would say but so the bills essentially have so next year josh allen will cost them seven million dollars roughly uh and then they will obviously pick up his fifth year option which is going to be around 20 something million dollars and they're going to give him a big extension and so they have next year essentially but then after that i mean they're going to if they're going to have if want to win it's going to have to be with a different setup of a team than what they have right now like it's just it's not going to be it's not going to be the same and there's just no guarantee that these guys can maintain that and i'm I'm not trying to diminish what the bills did this season they had a really good season and i'm gonna be honest with you guys like i had a sneaking suspicion like the last two months that there was just there was a lot of good vibes going on with this bills team i was kind of convinced that they, they had some magic that was going to take them to the super bowl and i wasn't very happy about it and then obviously that didn't end up happening but they've got next year and then after that, things are going to be pretty different for this Buffalo team. I think people just need to, people need to, how do I say this more? Like we just need to be more cognizant of like the, the narrowness with which these windows appear and like how to take advantage of them. So that's going to be something to watch out for. Now, I, again, I do expect them to still be very good next year, but at the same time, I do think all three teams in that division, the other three teams have optimism as to why they're going to be better. Uh, now I say that the Jets, you know, who knows with the Jets, but I mean, the Dolphins could theoretically have Deshaun Watson next offseason. The Patriots have $65 million in cap space and Bill Belichick actually has some money to play around with and draft picks to deal and everything. And 
this division could end up being different. And again, I'm not saying that the Bills are going to suck next year. They're still going to be pretty good, but there's just no guarantee that they're going to be back. That's that's my point. I'm sorry. It was extremely long-winded, and it ended up saying something I could have said in two seconds, but there's my point. Just let's not – we can't just artificially extend windows because teams we like aren't – oh, I almost just shut down my computer. And it's kind of – it's the same thing with – I'm going to get into it to an extent against the Chiefs. You know, I'm going to save that for next week, but I have a similar gripe with the Chiefs of pe- – you know what? I'm not even going to talk about it right now. I'm, I'm not – I can't. I can't. So that's the AFC Championship. Um, you know, just not a really good game to watch. So the NFC Championship game, I thought, was much more fun to watch. Um, where should I start? I guess we can start with the Packers offense, Bucks defense. Um, the first thing that I wanted to point out is Vitavea is an absolute animal and just a massive, massive human being. And you can see the effect that he had on this defense already. I didn't really expect him to have much of an impact for the Bucks, considering he had fractured his ankle um, what would that have been, uh, 13, 13, 14 weeks ago, but here he is and he actually played a decent amount of snaps and he just, he swallows the interior of the trenches, like the, the defensive or the offensive line has to give him so much attention just because of how big he is and how, how easily he can leverage his size into just dominating them. If they're not careful, like Elton Jenkins struggled, uh, the run defense, you know, the Packers didn't really run the ball all that much because Aaron Jones got hurt and then they were down pretty early. But I mean, they just they couldn't really get anything going with the exception of like one run, maybe like they just they couldn't get anything going. And not for nothing, you know, he's not always like a huge sack guy. But what Vitave is able to do is if he's able to push the pocket inwards, the quarterback, in this case, Aaron Rodgers, can't step up in the pocket and he's got to step to the sides. And all that does is just get him closer to Shaq Barrett and JPP who were also ridiculous today. Um, and I know David Bakhtiari was out obviously, and that sucks, but Rick Wagner has been there for a little bit and he just got handled by Shaq Barrett constantly all game. Uh, and you know, this pass rush is just so, so good. I mean, the, the front seven is always, they're always going to be a really good, run stopping unit because they just have all these guys. They have the really good inside guys. You have Sue and Vea just taking up as much space as possible. And then you have Shaq Barrett and JPP on the edge. And then if you can somehow manage to break through that level, you're running into Devin white and Levante David. You're just, you're not really going to run on this team consistently, no matter who you are. But if God, God, if you can get, if you can get those edge guys going, if Vea is able to take up enough double teams by himself that you can leave Sue and Vea and JPP to do their thing, you don't even need Levante David and Devin White to blitz as good as they are at that because now you can send them out into coverage and you can still get just as much pressure as you need anyways, which is what the Bucks did. Like they really, for a blitz-happy team, they didn't have to do it at all this week, which is perfect for them and that's that's what they're going to need for next week or two weeks from now. But they just they they played a lot of two man, which is essentially you have two guys up top. They did this probably like 40, 45 percent of their snaps. Um, so you have the two deep safeties, essentially. You're not letting anybody go deep and everyone else is man. And then you're just relying on your uh, edge guys to get pressure. And because their edge guys are so good, they can just do that. And it works because 
what else are you going to do? Like you can't go over the top because you don't have enough time and everyone's on man and you're going to need a little more time to get these man coverage, like mesh and whatever. You're going to need time for those routes to to develop, but you don't have time. So God, it's their defense can be so special when they give it a chance. And, and, you know, their secondary is, their secondary is not amazing, but they did a They did a decent job. You know, Carlton Davis was awesome against Michael Thomas in the previous round. And then, he did, you know, he wasn't on um, Devontae Adams the whole time. And he had that one bad play on, uh, oh, who is that, Lazard. But, you know, like, they did fine. And I actually did notice at one point uh, when the Packers played the Rams and Devontae Adams scored on the motion play when Jalen Ramsey was screaming at his other corners, like, please, somebody chip him or check him like he's coming over and I can't get over there in time. And they tried to do the exact same thing with Devontae Adams on Carlton Davis. And Davis told that, like, you could see him saying, like, hey, watch him, watch him. And the DBs picked it up and Devontae Adams was covered. So they just they had a really nice day, all time, all things considered. Uh, you know, Green Bay did get things going a little bit uh, in the middle of the game. You know, they went tempo and they attacked more of like the outside edges of the the field. And that seemed to work for a little bit until it didn't. Um. Yeah, so I, I could talk about the Bucks defense for forever. I mean, they just did. They did such a great job. Uh, Green Bay did less well. Uh, you know, 26 points in a vacuum really doesn't look that bad. But they had they, – the defense forced three turnovers for the Green Bay offense to work with. And they got six points off of those. Six. And that's just – that's not acceptable, right? I mean – and I know, like, like I said, the um, the refs didn't they didn't call a bunch, and there was probably a hold on the interception that Rodgers threw. But you know, it was like they were close enough together. It's going to be hard for a ref to see that. And um, and I know the O line was not it, it was not doing very well, frankly. But three turnovers, six points. If you want to win a playoff game, you need to be able to score more than six points on three turnovers. Like, you know, they definitely missed some stuff. Rodgers was clearly getting a little frustrated with some of his guys. And then Adams dropped something and Rodgers sailed one to Adams in the end zone. It was just like they, the offense as a whole, all made mistakes. Like, I'm not going to, I'm, I don't want to coddle Aaron Rodgers. Cause again, he, he made his fair share of mistakes and the receivers had some miscues too. Like there was definitely one play where Rodgers and Adams were both very, very mad at Marquez Valdez Scantling because he missed a pick route. But you know, that's just, that's what happened. Um, I, I do want to, I wanted to talk about the field goal at the end. Cause I don't, I don't understand that at all because so you're down 23 to 31 and wait, yeah, 23 to 31. And you have two options. You can kick a field goal on fourth and eight, or you can go for the touchdown and go for two and tie it up. I just, the, if you kick the field goal, you are then relying on a score. You have to get a stop on the the Bucks, which, you know, Tom Brady in the fourth quarter feels like a bit of a, a tough ask for a defense. And then you get the ball back and then you have to try and score another touch. And then you have to definitely score a touchdown to get ahead in the game. Field goal won't cut it. But if you go for the touchdown and you get it, then you tie the game. And this is assuming that they get the two point conversion. Obviously you tie the game and then 
you can still get a stop, but then there's no pressure on you to score immediately. Again, you can play for OT. Just kicking the field goal, if you if you sorry, if you don't get the touchdown, if you go for it and you don't get it, you still need to get a stop and then score a touchdown. You're just tying the game instead of winning the game. Like when both of those options still require you to get a stop, why would you not do the one where you know that you're uh how, how do I word this properly? Like both both of the both of the drives in this scenario would require you to get one more stop on the box and then you would still have to score a touchdown. Why would you not go for the touchdown in the first place just to have that extra chance to do so? It was a very puzzling decision. And, you know, so LaFleur messed up on that big time. He did. But also Aaron Rodgers, if he wanted to go for it on fourth, I don't know why he wouldn't have run that on third when he had the rushing lane, because if you are, if your coach is hesitant to go for it, if you turn it into fourth and four or fourth and three, like that would theoretically make them more likely to pick go going for it on fourth down. Right. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, so they were both at fault on that. I really thought. Uh, so yeah, just to go to the other side of the ball, um, the Bucks in the first half, at least they really did just a great job of identifying matchups that they could pick on and just abusing it. Right. I mean, on the first drive, Kevin King was guarding Mike Evans and they went to Mike Evans every single time he was guarded by him and worked quite fabulously. And then they found Kevin King again on the last play because Dom Capers ran a single high for some reason on Hail Mary defense. And you can't do that against Tom Brady. Like Brady is going to find that and he's going to abuse it in which he did. So I, yeah, and Fournette actually, Fournette looked really good. I was expecting more Ronald Jones. I didn't realize what his health was. But Fournette looked probably closer to LSU Leonard Fournette than anything we've seen since he's been a pro. And that's good for, that's big for them because he's really good catching the ball too. Like if he can be out there on all three downs for them, like that's that's really huge uh, for this offense for consistently consistency. I would say still the uh, play calling is a little maddening to me sometimes because I swear to God, on essentially every single first down, these guys ran the ball up the gut for like two yards. And it just made me want to scream bloody murder because they kept doing it. And the Packers knew it was coming every single time. And this would eventually result in them in the first three quarters. I think the average distance on third down for the Bucks was like eight yards. And it was essentially just Brady finding like doing what Brady does on third down, bailing them out every single time with the weapons that they have. Like it's, it's a, such an interesting parallel compared to the Chiefs because the Chiefs have this incredible collection of skill talent and an incredible system that leaves some of these guys wide open all the time, a la Travis Kelsey. And the Bucks are essentially, they have similar talents. You could argue greater, you know, depending on how you feel about Antonio Brown, whatever. And they are essentially just blunt force, like, they're blunt forcing their way through defenses. Like they're just like, we are going to out talent, you no matter like the system is difficult, but our guys are good enough to make it work. Like there's, there's, there's not a lot of easy yardage in this Bucks offense. It really doesn't feel like, like I, I, if I had done a podcast last week, I would have complained about it too. Cause there's so many, especially in this game too, there were so many third and short calls where the design play is something deep. And I just don't understand it at all. Like, you got to have at least a few short things, right? Like that Brady is really, really good at that. And the guys available to him can run those same type of routes. Like, why are we running two streak routes 
on third and two. Uh, like Brady shouldn't be doing a seven step drop on third and two, which is why that that pick, the last pick that he threw was stupid because he's dropping back so far and Fournette whiffs his block that he has no option other than to just chuck it up. And then it's either going to be a pick or it's going to be an arm punt pick or it's going to go out of bounds or whatever. Like it was just stupid. God. Um. So again, it is working still because again, this team has a incredible collection of talent and Brady is still really, really good. That's why they've scored. And now they were amazing against Washington and they still scored 30 against the saints and they scored 31 today, even with throwing three interceptions, but things could be so much easier for these guys. If they just, they just tried something a little bit different, but they, they don't Byron left doesn't. So, you know, whatever. Um, I would say, and you know, those three picks hurt for sure. The first one is definitely, it was just not a great decision by Brady to test Jair Alexander and just not a great throw. The second one, Brady, I didn't think made the best throw, but Mike Evans really didn't jump that high and it hit him in the hands. Like you got to catch that. And then the third one, that was just whatever, because Brady was either going to take a sack because of the stupid play call, or he was going to complete, uh, he was going to take the sack or they were going to punt it anyways. So I really don't think that one was that big a deal. Like not all interceptions are created equally. Like Brady really, I think it's similar to the Kansas city game from two years ago where the stats aren't going to reflect how well Brady played just because of how a few plays turned out. But again, overall, they, they still did a pretty good job, especially in that first half, just taking care of business. Um, yeah. And then for the last call, I just really quickly, like as people have been complaining about it and I know they weren't calling anything earlier in the game, but that penalty on Kevin King at the end of the game was a thousand times more egregious than anything else any of those guys did. Like the Sean Murphy bunting play, there probably was holding. But again, those guys were close enough together where you couldn't really see what was happening from the ref's perspective. But then you see the camera from the ref's perspective on the last play, and you can clearly see Kevin King stretching Tyler Johnson's jersey like two yards down the field. Like you can't not call that even if even if you generally letting them play things out like that, like that is a penalty you were going to call regardless of how the rest of the game's been called. That's just, that's how it's going to work. If, if that hadn't been called, people were going to be freaking out about that. Like this is how it works. So I, you know, don't really have an issue with that. Um, the bucks, you know, not really much to say, just Brady doing Brady things, 10 super bowls, you know, I've, I've talked about him enough. I don't need to, I don't need to repeat that. Um, Rodgers, everyone is freaking out about Rodgers leaving and everything. He just said yesterday in a in an interview with Pat McAfee, and he's done it a few other times, he's coming back. Like, that's not in question. He's coming back. He's not getting traded. He, he may retire, who knows, but he's not getting traded. He's not leaving anywhere. He's just not. And to act like Matt LaFleur is some failure for getting to two NFC Championship games in a row is a little ridiculous to me. Like, they are in a good spot. They probably like you, you can't waste an MVP year like Rogers, but they've made it to two NFC championship games in two years. Matt LaFleur is off to a pretty good start. I I'm not willing to burn him at the stake just yet. I think that's all I have for this game. It's just, there's so many narratives that came out of this game that were so frustrating for plenty of reasons, but whatever, that's it. Um, I thought this game was pretty good. Um, you know, it was uh, Packers made it competitive enough where, you know, you wanted to stay watching it the whole time. And, uh, you know, disappointing way for the Packers season to go out. But that's just that's what happens. And you, 
people lose to Brady. There's there's really no shame in losing a playoff Tom Brady at this point. It is what it is. God, I know people are going to hate me. They think I'm so smug when I say that, but whatever. I'm committed to the bit at this point. So that's it for the conference championship games. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get into the Super Bowl um, next week. Yeah, I'll just save that for next week because I can do a lot of stuff with that. So now we are going to move on to our quarterback trades. Here we go, back again. And uh, there's a couple quarterbacks, uh, you know, a lot of rumors flying around, uh, people talking about Wentz. Uh, Goff just popped up today randomly in uh, some trade talks. Uh, who am I forgetting? There's there's a couple other guys, but the major ones that we know for sure are happening are Deshaun Watson and Matthew Stafford. So I figured I'd get those out of the way because there is probably a decent chance that those will get done uh, potentially before the Super Bowl, kind of like the Alex Smith trade last year. So wanted to do that, or not last year, two years ago, but you get my point. Um, so I wanted to get that one done just uh, just in case they happen. You know, wanted to have some some forethought out there. So I figured what I'm going to do is I'd pick the I'd, I'd figure out the least they're the most likely destinations for these guys, and then just kind of break down their assets, what they had, and then just what would seem likely to me. You know, obviously, I have no insider buzz. I have no word. I have no uh, nuggets of information to share with you or anything. But just from an outsider's perspective, here's what it looks like, and here's what would make most sense from some other teams' perspectives. So, it sounds like for Deshaun Watson, the starting price is going to be multiple first-round picks, and really, the only teams that are in position to do that are the Jets and the Dolphins. Uh, I'm not really going to get into the will he uh, waive his no trade clause for the Jets or anything. I just because again, I I don't know, and you know I don't care at this point until we see anything actually pan out. Uh, so the Jets have their they have four firsts in two years here. They have uh, and they also have all of their own picks. They have plenty of cap space to absorb his new deal. I'm just trying to pull up over the caps draft thing just so I can find all those spots really quickly. The Jets this season, they have the number two pick and they have the number 23 pick uh, in addition to a second. And then they have uh, their pick and Seattle's pick next year. And now the Dolphins have, where the heck are the Dolphins? They're down here. They have the third pick, the 18th pick. And then they have two second round picks. They have the 36th and the 50th. And then the following season, they have their pick. They have the Texans pick and they have the Texans second round pick. So. And they have Tua. Now this one is really a no-brainer. If Miami, if Miami wants to get this done, they'll get it done because they theoretically they have a, a quarterback prospect who they can sell uh, Nick Casario on. They can just be like, look, like you can take this kid and you can make him your own quarterback if you want. And then if he's not, then he's not going to be super expensive or anything. You can just get rid of him. Uh. And their picks are just going to be better. Like, you know, the Texans pick is going to be better than Seattle's pick next year, regardless of like, obviously the Jets pick will be better than the Dolphins. But again, the Texans pick in addition to the Dolphins just have more picks if they want to throw more in and they have Tua. So just considering, you know, the Dolphins are in, they have 23 million in cap space right now. Uh, not including, obviously they'd probably be getting rid of Tua. Actually, that's interesting. How would they get rid of him? Because trading him, no, trading him would actually, that would save you some money. Uh, 
cutting him would be the issue, but they have enough cap space to take Deshaun Watson when they get him. And this is a very talented team. I mean, they probably still need, they need another wide receiver, but I mean, this defense is ready to go. I, I would run through a brick wall for Brian Flores and they, yeah, I mean, this team, this team is ready to compete in the playoffs. They just need a guy, the right guy at the helm. That's not Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I think the dolphins could be very incentivized to do so. The Jets less so. I mean, if you want to take Deshaun Watson, that's great. Like, that's a great building block to have. But at the same time, like, they are in no desperate need of that, especially if they like Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or Trey Lance. You know, any of those guys at number two, they can take if they want. So it would seem most likely to me that the Dolphins would take Deshaun Watson. Not any groundbreaking analysis, I know. But it's especially, I didn't, oh yeah, I didn't include the Niners or anything. I'll talk about them later, actually. Just because they have less cap space than... Miami from the jump here and uh, it'll probably cost less to get the next guy, which may be easier for them to do. So, and, I, and I'll get into that next. So again, I, I'm going to go with the dolphins here. Uh, so for Stafford, I picked out four teams. I picked out the Niners, the Colts, the Broncos and the Patriots. So I'll start with, I'll start with the Colts or I, I guess I can give you all of their, all of their assets first, just to, uh, Get that overview. And so the Niners this season, they have the 12th pick and then they have all their picks this year and next year. No issues there. And then the Colts have the 21st pick because they still have their first round pick from this year. Uh, and then all their picks, the rest of their picks from this year and next year. The Broncos, same deal with them, I believe. Uh, and they have the ninth pick. And then the Patriots have all of their picks and the 15th pick for this year. So it's all kind of similar, but the the problem with uh, Matthew Stafford that Deshaun Watson does not have is, well, it's not really a problem necessarily, but uh, you need at least $20 million in cap space to get, uh, why do I spell Deshaun Watson's name? Uh, you need... 20 million in cap space to absorb Matthew Stafford initially. And then if you want to rework his deal, you can do so, but you can't do that right now. And Deshaun Watson does not really have that problem because his cap hit his cap numbers at 15. And then obviously he costs way more. So that's why I didn't really put the Niners or any of those guys in there, but the, the Colts don't have an issue with that. The Patriots wouldn't have an issue with that. And the Niners kind of have an issue, but I'll get into that. So I'm going to eliminate the Broncos from contention here just because they have not a ton in cap space. I'm trying to pull this up right now. They have $14 million in cap space, and they don't really have a ton of easy cuts to make. I guess you could do Jarrell Casey. That would give you another 10. You probably want to keep Kareem Jackson and AJ Bouye. But anyways, like the, the point I'm trying to make is like they they would need to make some cuts and they're not as easy as some of the ones San Francisco makes. And I don't think they're in quite as desperate a win now mode as some of these other teams are just given the, their, their roster still a little young. They still need to develop some of these weapons on offense. I think Stafford would do quite well with these guys. I just don't think they have as much again, incentive as the rest of these guys. Now, if they wanted to trade for him, I'm sure they could make it work. And especially considering they have the best pick out of all these guys, I think they would get it done. Um, I, you know, like I could very much imagine the lions just, you know, 
they're not going to be doing Matthew Stafford any favors. They're just going to get what's best for them. And the ninth pick would be better than any of the rest of these picks. Um, the Patriots. Um, I, w- I wouldn't like, I wouldn't mind if the Patriots traded for Matt Stafford, but it's certainly, it's not quite as likely as, you know, uh, what am I trying to say here? I guess I would say Belichick may not feel the need to go all in like that on this year, especially considering they still have some other holes to fill. They might want to, uh, trade. They might want to, um, draft a guy, whatever they want to do. Um, especially God, I, I really, I, I'm going to talk about San Francisco next actually, just cause that kind of plays into the Niners only have 9 million in cap space. But if you're trading for Matthew Stafford, Jimmy G is not playing on this team anymore. And the way they had set up Jimmy G's contract, it was so front-loaded. You can either cut or trade Garoppolo. It doesn't matter. It saves you $24 million in cap space. That's essentially, that's all of Stafford's cap hit. And there's more money to play with there. In addition to, if you cut D Ford, then you're looking at an extra $30 million in cap space between the two of those guys. So I don't think the cap's actually going to be that big of an issue for them. And they're going to have that space. And I would imagine that if that happens, Belichick is going to sniff around Garofalo, at least just as a cheap uh, bridge option for a drafted quarterback or whatever Bill wants to do there. Um, yeah, the Colts are the Colts obviously have much more cap space than San Francisco, but their pick is just, their pick is way worse than everyone else's on this list. Uh, you know, 21st is, is close to territory where people start viewing the talent in the late first, similar to the early second. So they're not quite as valuable. Um, yeah, it's just going to be, it's going to be hard for the Colts to justify, uh, Detroit taking the 21st pick over the 12th or the ninth and, you know, even the 15th to an extent. So if it's coming down to the Colts and the Niners, I just, I don't see how the Niners aren't going to get it just because they would have that higher pick. And Frank, and I do think the Niners have the more complete roster. Like if Matthew Stafford was able to land himself on, the San Francisco 49 that team. Oh man, that team scares me a little bit. And I think he would be very, very good on the Colts. I, I would like them to see, I would like to see them get one more weapon before I declare them like surefire, like Super Bowl contenders, but like they're there. They just, there's a little more uncertainty than San Francisco. And that's why I just, when it comes down to this, it looks like, San Fran is going to be more desperate just because they have the roster right now, especially, you know, they're getting all these healthy guys back. Like I know they weren't great this year, but they were so good the year before. And man, like it, having Stafford could take that offense to just a whole new level. So I'm going to put my money on the Niners for this one. Uh, it just seems, seems most likely to me. They have the best combination of, they can free up enough cap space. They have a really good pick and they, uh, they are, incentivized to go as all in and as possible for the next two or three years. So that makes the most sense to me. So that is all I have for you guys. I think not my best shelling today, but you know, we'll, we'll work our way back for the Super Bowl and then the reaction. Yada, yada. So I think, yeah, so that's all I got for you guys. Uh, I'll save everything else for next week. Um, thanks for listening guys. As always, the SG podcast can be found on Apple podcast, Google podcast, anchor, Spotify, anywhere else you can get your podcasts. Uh, leave a review, share it with everyone. You know, like I said, uh, shooting for that $16 in revenue for three years. So big milestone. So thanks for listening, guys. I will be back next week.